Hello, you're listening to Living Alone Together. I am your only host, Yen. So I suppose you can tell from today's title、uh, that I'm going to be very specific in this episode. I'll be talking about teaching, and、um, before I go into that, I guess I need to explain why I'm doing this.、Um, you guessed correctly. I've been teaching.、Um, In the past two years, and if you follow my podcast, you would know that I mentioned working for a toxic company before, and obviously, then the company、uh, was actually a school. And、um, the reason for that is the reason for using the word company is that well, first of all, I didn't want people to know that I was a teacher, and I'll talk about that later. But another reason was.、Um, I I treated teaching as a hundred percent as a job and a job only, and this would affect my perspective and my views on it. So you're gonna,、um, you, I guess you can catch that later on when I talk about the problems with this industry. But、um, I have to say that a lot of my ex coworkers they don't feel the same.、Uh, one of my One of my friends actually, she she said that teaching、uh, was a calling. She she actually used the word calling, and I was I was quite I was quite surprised.、Um, or rather, I've never you know people don't really use the word calling in day to day life. But、um, I would I would never link any job、um, to the word calling. But she she did say that, and she was sincere about it. So. Um, that clarifies things a little bit. So to me, it really was just a job, and I treated my, I I I saw my parents. Sorry, I saw the students and the parents as, as clients, and also my managers and my boss、um, as as these people. They, they they were not anything more than that, or anyone more than that.、Um, they're not. Qualitatively different from someone you would work for in a an actual business. So so yeah, I I've been using the word company to describe the school I was working for, and I really did mean that.、Um, and yet there are a lot of things that I said were toxic that today I finally think it has to do with the the、um, the line of work I was doing, and it's not exactly. Just associated with that particular school, or、um, even the particular country I'm I'm working in. So、um, that's why I want to talk about this issue today. And、um, a big preamble is that if you're not in this industry, if you're not a teacher, if you're not a administrator, or if you're not a student, or if you're not a、uh, a parent yourself,、uh, you might find it completely unrelatable and really boring. But then. Uh, then again, in the past fifty-something episodes, I suppose most of the topics are not directly related to anyone's lives.、Um, anyone's life. So, for that matter, I don't think that's a big issue.、Um, but still, I have to give out that caveat because it's gonna be qualitatively different from、um, the previous episodes I did. It's gonna be very much evidence-based. It's gonna be very specific. It's a little bit personal as well, and、um, I wouldn't be doing a lot of abstract thinking. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I think all thinking is abstract, but 
Um, anyway, and if you've been following my podcast, you would know that all the time I was recording, I was also teaching in in my day job. And um, maybe you could go back and see if it makes any sense. Uh, and um, so yeah, I'm going to talk about my actual experience. So that's kind of fun. Uh, and then I'll explain why I'm doing it right now. And today is actually a big day for me, and I'll explain that later as well. So. Uh, why don't we get started? All right. So the thing is, um, I actually wrote a, a, a full article uh, on on this issue, and it's about four pages and about maybe two thousand words. And I did it all in two hours this morning because there were just so many things I wanted to say about this, and I couldn't stop myself. So. That was that's the thing, and I'll be maybe reading a little bit, but I'll be adding annotations as I read, so that it doesn't get so boring. And the title of what I wrote was this: "What's wrong with teaching as an industry?" It's probably going to become the title of this episode as well. Um, and also a full caveat: um, it's really just my personal perspective and my experience in teaching. It's only been two years. So、um, that's about it. So if you're a teacher who's be- been teaching for 15 years or so, feel free to to、uh, correct me or to give your opinion on this issue. And it's really just it's really a re- a personal story.、Um, and I try to think about the overarching problems with this industry because I was so unhappy.、Uh, but of course, there must be a lot of teachers who are satisfied with their line of work. So. Yeah, if you are offended or if you're not happy because I said these things, maybe feel free to email me. All right, or leave a comment. No one ever <laughs> does that, so I'm kind of sad.、Um, all right, so let's get started.、Um, so let's talk about my background first. I was teaching math at a A bilingual school in Taiwan, starting in 2020, which was when COVID broke out, and the two years I was there, it was the height of COVID.、Um, so, if you ask me why I accepted this job, it was the primary reason was that I just got my master's degree, and、um, I didn't know. What kind of job to look for? And this was the first、um, first interview I had, and I went for it. That was pretty much it.、Um, about yeah, about eighty percent. That <laughs> that covers eighty percent of the of the reason.、Um, all right, so that's not quite important. The point is, I was doing this、um, in the height of COVID, and this has to do with how I feel about teaching. I think.、Um, So the school it says it's a it's an international school, but for me,、um, I think you would call it a bilingual school because really there were two sectors. Okay, there were there there was this local sector where all the students were learning、uh, with local material that everyone else in the、uh, in the country was using, and they were learning in Mandarin.、Uh, the teachers were t-、uh, completely Taiwanese.、Um, And so it was just a pretty much a pretty local curriculum, and the other sector was the so-called international sector, and I say so-called because I would say probably more than ninety-six percent of the students there,、um, they were 
local students they are from Taiwan and um, about maybe five or ten out of 20 sorry 200 students no actually about five out of 200 um, were actually from from elsewhere all right but the teachers um, were entirely international as in not from Taiwan and um, we all taught in English so that's the international aspect of the school and the curriculum um, sorry the curricular we're using uh, were also international as in you can find the same curricula in um, some schools in the UK some schools in uh, in Europe or um, a lot of other places in the in the world. So I would say about twenty percent of the school um, were properly international, but eighty percent were still local. As in, uh, we were still following local laws. We were uh, we had the same holidays as a local company, and we also uh, followed the Ministry of Education. Um, in the country, so all the COVID measures were according to um, local authorities, right? So we didn't have any um, freedom in, in this regard. We were pretty much um, not international in that way, but the curricula, the teacher were international. Okay, so that was that's the background of where I worked. Um, and so I said I was teaching math, but on top of that, because of my, um, because I do speak Chinese and I, I could, I could do that. Um, I was also the homeroom teacher, and I should explain a little bit what this person does. I'm not sure if you have, if you had these when you were a kid, um, but basically, a homeroom teacher um, is a teacher who sits in in the back of the classroom. They would manage the entire class, even when they were not teaching that class. So, they would be sitting. I would be sitting in the back of the classroom, and let's say when a um, Spanish teacher was was teaching, I would be also in the classroom doing my own thing. But I would sit there. That would be my office. And the job of the homeroom teacher, it's pretty much being completely intertwined with the students' uh, school life there. So whenever we had activities. Uh, it was the homeroom teachers who discussed and decided what to do. Uh, they were associated with picking the, let's say, the location of us for a school trip. They were the ones who decided if the, the details of a lot of school activities, and they were also the. They were pretty much the first-hand mentor of a class of students. So, I guess if you're from from the UK, I learned recently that um, they. These are the people called pastoral team. So they are um, the ones in, in charge of the students, um, let's say, behavior and um, giving them emotional support. I think that's what the team is about. So the home teachers were um, kind of like the, like these people where they would know everything about the, the students in that class um, other than just teaching the subject they they're responsible for so i was that and um all right by the way the homeroom teacher would not just be the go-to person for the for the parents sorry for the students they were also the go-to person for the parents and for the managers and for other non-homeroom subject teachers so that was the structure of our school and that was also the rule i had and i would um 
I would say that having been this homeroom teacher was the most grueling process, the most grueling part of the entire process. And uh, but I, I don't regret it one bit because it was due to this rule that my life became really, really complicated and unexpected. And I also saw a lot of things behind the scenes that you probably wouldn't be able to see if you were just teaching math. So I'm glad that I I had this and um, um, that accelerated my um, my perspective um, of this entire industry and of, of at least how it works here in the country. So that's that's the background. I was teaching math, and I was also doing. Um, I was also the home teacher. All right, and the range of my pupils they aged from fifteen to eighteen. So I I didn't deal with primary kids. Um, I was just dealing with uh, secondary school kids. All right, so that's my background. And um, so the title, of course, was uh, that I gave was what's wrong with teaching as an industry. So I suppose I'm going to start with the things I think are associated with the country and with this school in particular to, to make it clear that I don't think these are the problem globally. Um, so one, of course, it has to do with the location of the school. If you follow my podcast, you know that I've been complaining about that a lot, where I was living in a tiny village, a little town. I was uh, making fun of this place, and I don't regret it one bit. I don't. I'm not going to take it back because I really do feel uh, like a village woman, <laughs> and um, and yes, maybe inherently that term doesn't mean. It's not negative, but my experience of being that was pretty negative. So that's why I'm using the term in this in this way. Um, yeah, it was in this very undesirable location in the country, and there was no practical means of public transportation. And me being me, I was just so afraid of learning to use a scooter. You should really see how how the um, people here. Um, roam around in the in the town. They have no they no respect uh, for traffic rules at all. So um, it's really really dangerous if you're not used to uh, navigating this place with the scooters. I decided to not get one. So what I had was a bicycle, and I pretty much just uh, commuted with a bicycle every day. So that added to a lot of pain because. Sorry, that added a lot of pain to what I was having already because um, it was super hot uh, in the country. It, there's virtually no no winter. Um, and yeah, so that was the situation that's specific to to where I was. It was not, it's not it's probably not um, nothing to do with teaching itself. Um, another point was, of course, being um, in Taiwan, most of the kids, they they don't. Their native language um, uh, was not English, so and yet they were they were forced to learn all of these material uh, in English, and the teachers uh, spoke English. So for them, uh, it was that there was this extra layer of difficulty. Just imagine learning, let's say you're an English native speaker, and imagine being a French immersion program. So it's kind of like that. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're not in, 
um, very talented or interested in this stuff, the language barrier obviously is going to make you more painful. So a lot of kids didn't have that motivation to overcome the language barrier. And the reason for that is that uh, in my case, um, a lot of them came from really wealthy families and they just wanted to get sent to some any school that um that was in the US or Australia or, or New Zealand, they, they don't really mind with school. But the point is they came from wealthy families. And um, so that's the background of the school. And, um, but then it contributes to, it contributed to this lack of motivation. And I think it has to do with the nature of um, the location of the school um, and how it's supposed to be bilingual. And so that was that. And, um, and by the way, because they came from wealthy families, a lot of them had the option to just take over the family business, so they really didn't care about their academic um, performance at all, right? So that was um, the lack of motivation. That's really disheartening. And then there was uh, there were things that were more or less cultural, I would say. For example, um, it apparently it's a habit of Taiwanese schools to implement this um, thing called night study session. So, especially if you're in a private school or in a boarding school, which was our school, which our school was, and uh, so if you were in a boarding school, they had this night study session where. Um, Teachers are supposed to sit in the back of the room to monitor students uh, studying for two hours from six to eight at night. And you can just imagine how grueling that would be considering that you were probably at school already um, at 7.30 in the morning already and you will be staying near the campus at least um, during dinner time because you have to come back at six o'clock and then um, sit there for two hours uh, doing nothing, just watching them. So, in effect, you'll be at the camp on the campus for more than twelve hours, and that's really, really depressing. And um, so, so, uh, and then it was the duty of homeroom teachers to do this, and I managed to get out of it uh, after once or twice uh, sitting in the room. I try to negotiate it I try to negotiate out of it and uh, it worked but you could just imagine that if you were not someone who uh, wanted to negotiate you would be you would do that every once every week or two weeks um, you would have to do that so that's something cultural I don't think it happens in other countries um, and then there was something associated with COVID uh, in particular, which was teachers had to come early to school um, to do COVID preventative measures. And uh, of course, a lot of things, extra things a home teacher would have to do due to uh, COVID measures. For example, you had to, sometimes you had to, okay, there was a period when we had online classes. So obviously you were the one who had to coordinate all of these online classes and any internet problem, it would be your duty to solve it. Um, and this definitely was just <laughs> the school's problem, not exactly a global issue. Um, and home teachers had to take extra care uh, when it comes to the hygiene and just anything that has to do with COVID and people here, um, parents really do care about this and the measures are pretty strict in the country. So that was a lot of extra burden that I had because I was a home teacher and um, were I in a different school or if I 
weren't a, a home teacher, probably I wouldn't be so stressed out. So, um, yeah, and another thing that was really cultural was that a lot of extra duties just came up because of COVID, and a lot of Taiwanese teachers, they would just comply, they wouldn't um, complain, and I would say this is cultural, not just uh, school-specific, uh, because um, I think it's part of Taiwanese culture that People are just really rule adherent and they comply very well in general. Uh, they are not too aggressive. They don't complain too much. That's very, very different from who I am. And I think uh, it has something to do with the people who choose to become teachers. I'll talk about this later. But yeah, so a, a lot of teachers, they just put up with all the uh, extra unnecessary tasks that had to do with COVID. Um, and I became sort of a victim of it because I was one of the very few teachers who were against some of the ridiculous things uh, we were told, to, we were asked to do. So that was that. And I suppose, um, I hope this makes a little bit sense. Um, of of why how this complaining um, came about, but on top of that, then I suppose I should talk about um, the larger question, which is what exactly is wrong with teaching as a global industry. All right, so I think the following points then um, they are not they have nothing to do with with the culture or the school. I think they are. I could say it is. A global issue or when it comes to teaching so the first thing was that I think it's really really difficult to have any sense of progress or accomplishment because um, if any uh, these were always uh, tied to external factors that you personally cannot control all right so there are roughly two ways to feel that you've made some progress in your work uh, the first one, obviously, is student progress, and uh, it's sim as simple as checking their understanding and um, looking at their grades, uh, looking at their test results and, and assignments. And um, the thing is, as a math teacher, um, most of the course books that you're using, they come with um, solution manuals that the students can purchase and the, in the manuals they've got extensive details on a single problem so it's like work solution where you if you have some basic understanding you could follow the steps um, really easily and in a way um, I think if you are 17 or 18 these would be good enough um, for your learning you could pretty much just self-learn most of the math uh, you are seeing at the age and especially since uh, at that age you already finished um, a bunch of basic math and a lot of math from that point on uh, it was just building on previous knowledge whereas um, I don't know in biology maybe there could be very very different details qualitatively different details that you've never thought about before for math nothing would be qualitatively different from what you learned in grade one or in age um, six or something. I mean, the, the algebra rules, arithmetic, they, the rules of these things, they are the same. Whereas, as far as I know, um, in chemistry, in biology, there are things that are just outright wrong or simply um, too simplified. So you got to relearn it when you go to 
um, when you're age 17 or age 18 or when you go to university, you got to rewrite your whole memory. But in math, at least before university, um, it's not like that. You could use what you learned in, in you know, five years ago and continue to use it and just uh, build up extra information. And so I think it's really math specific, but uh, teachers are... Um, yeah, the teacher's important, the most important role of the teacher would be to let students know their assessment standards and the test dates and just to tell them what they're looking for in the test. And that's really their role. And um, of course, yes, the teacher would also be the one to give them resources and to direct students to write material should they want to learn at home. But today, most of the things you, you've got students can pick online material they could sorry they could pay for online materials they could find tutors they could there's just a whole whole bunch of things that you could do yourself that wouldn't require a teacher at school to help you with especially when you are doing higher level maths at age 17 or age 18 um and um occasionally yes the student uh, the teacher would have to um, showcase some of your math ability by doing some math on the board or uh, correcting a math uh, sorry a student's math uh, in front of everyone else and be, be able to spot the common mistakes but there is not nothing that's that fundamental whereas um, in my case in my memory my biology teacher was really really good he there was just um, he would be the one to string everything together in a nice way and you would rather listen to him than read your textbook. But, but math is different. you got to practice a lot of the problems and if you're doing them at home and you're stuck, uh, it's it's the only thing you have would be your solution manual, right? You would just go to it and check your answer. That's it. Um, and you wouldn't need a teacher. Whereas for biology, um, yeah, I think it's a bit different. Um and um, and it's very very important that students really do their their problems uh, by themselves, um, or else they wouldn't really learn anything by watching you. Whereas if you're in a history class or a biology class, uh, the the way the the teacher pieces the story together uh, really really matters. Um, and for example, an English teacher for me, um, how he could really ha- help me find the points that we never thought about um, in, in a piece of literature, uh, which you cannot really find in a, a quote-unquote solution manual, right? Um, yeah, and it's different with math. The answer is there. If you could read the solution manual, then you're good most of the time. So I feel pretty useless um, being a math teacher. And also... Um, yeah, I ended up doing a lot of this. I would just walk around in the class when they were doing exercises in, in the class. And I would say, oh, right, when you move this to this other side, it's supposed to be negative, not positive. That's it. That's the extent of work I was doing. And um, yeah, so that's that's uh, it's not good to feel that you've never really you're not part of their learning experience. And um, I would also say that um it is a subject where if a student is good, they're probably good not because of you. Um, you're pretty much just invisible, and they could, they could just they could ask their 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 mate um, what's wrong with the calculation, but it wouldn't be um, so different. Um, yeah, it wouldn't be so different from asking you. 
and um, so it feels it's a bit frustrating to feel like you're not really part of the thing. And、uh, I've been talking about students who are good enough or who are age、um, who are seventeen or eighteen. And if we're looking at the people who don't get maths at all. It's also one of the subjects where I feel like it's really, really difficult to seal the gap. There is very little you could do to to fix them or to fix their thinking because, let's say, when they're sixteen or seventeen and they're struggling with some basic stuff, it's probably because they didn't learn it well when they were eight or nine. And so there's it's a it's a huge gap that you really cannot seal, especially when your time is limited and you cannot just. Just redo that whole learning process for them. So then, it's in, for these students. You you also not really see any progress. So I think overall in maths, there's no such thing as let someone understand something that just doesn't exist. Whereas I think in other subjects, it's more of a case that the teacher actually functions a little bit more.、Um, Yeah, so、um, I would just say that my role as a teacher, as a math teacher, was pretty limited. I'm not sure how other math teachers feel about this, but it really was limited. And I think, yes, I've been speaking about other subjects, but I do, you know, sometimes you have to observe other teachers. And what I saw was that、um, what people perceive to be a good teacher, these are the teachers who、um, perform well. And I do mean perform, as in in a circus, and and it's it's always the teachers who are、um, who have these extra tools, who have these a lot of、um, a bag of things they could use in a class to demonstrate something. Especially, I think most most of the time it's the biology、uh, biology teacher who was really popular, the English teacher because they were really dramatic when they're reading a a, a story. So. So teaching, it's really a perform、uh, a performative art or a performance art, yeah, where a lot of the craft is not in your ability to、uh, explain something, or rather, your ability ex- to explain something lies in your ability to act, and you would never. And I just find that a little bit absurd. I don't think that should be the case. And at least I didn't want to become a a circus、um, actor or a performer、um, when I accepted this job. I thought my role would be to explain, to to show showcase how to do certain problems. Certainly, this was part of it. But、uh, to be considered a good teacher for students to like you, you gotta be、um, quite. Extra, quite an extrovert, and you gotta be able to、um, bring up a sack of tools to to use and to perform in front of the class. So that's something that's、um, very unsatisfactory to me. I was just feeling useless the whole time, and.、Um, Occasionally, occasionally, you would say a math genius, but there's also very little that you could do because they're a genius, not because of you. And if they're a genius, they would be 
more more often than not, they will be um, looking for extra resources themselves, and you probably don't. You there's no way you can help them, and um, they would only really get satisfied when they go to university to learn maths. But with you, uh, you've got so little time. It's very difficult to devote any specific uh, chunk of time to the so-called math genius、um, in high school. So, yeah, in that regard, there's very little satisfaction either. All right, and so I mentioned. Uh, two ways of seeing progress. So that was the first one, student progress. I think for math teacher, it was just you're not. I feel like I wasn't part of their thing, and I just feel like、uh, I could be replaced by well, like a solution manual online.、Um, so that was that, and I was pretty much、uh, diluted down to a marking machine. I was just there to tell them when's the test. I'm just there to make the papers. I'm just there to do the paperwork. Um, that is a huge, huge、um, drawback of being a teacher for me. At least, it's just all the paperwork that I'm going to talk about this later because that's a big issue as well. All right. So,、um, the second way of seeing progress,、um, I believe this is also required by most of the schools、uh, in the world. Which is to look at your teaching objectives, learning objectives, and to examine your teaching philosophy, and、um, and then if you're a good teacher,、uh, you're supposed to be able to produce results that match your objectives,、um, and that you're supposed to be able to carry out your teaching philosophy. Unfortunately.、Um, I, I guess I should give some examples of what I'm talking about. So, for example, in the curriculum we used,、um, they were advocating for a bunch of values like、uh, being open-minded, to be principled, to be just, and all of these very vague, virtuous terms.、Um, and but then they really do advocate it. You're supposed to, as a teacher, you're supposed to go through. Um, these values in the meeting, you're supposed to show evidence that you've、um, created work、uh, that includes creativity and all of the good things that you want to instill in the student.、Um, and you're supposed to be, in general, you're supposed to raise students to become these wholesome, good individuals. And I would say that setting aside the pretentious. Uh, facade of all of this, it it really is just idealistic, and we all know that as adults, right? It it really shouldn't be even brought up that we want、um, students to become wholesome, good individuals. But it really is part of the workshop, part of the training, part of the daily work that you have to go through. You got to make sure you got to have these on your mind, and you got to make sure that every act of yours is ensuring this this result, right?、Um, And and、uh, when it's taken seriously by by the school by the company,、um, it becomes really、um, burdensome because this is all on top of the regular curriculum you got to teach, regular tests that you got to mark, and and yet it's still part of a it's a huge chunk of your work where you got to find evidence that. You know, students' work show that they are creative and all that good stuff, right? And and also just just think about how unrealistic it is to 
to want teachers to train students to become wholesome, good individuals, right? Let's say you got a physics teacher, all right, and um, their expertise was cosmology when they were getting their PhD. Well, any reasonably smart and self-respective person with a master's or PhD in cosmology, let's say, would know that um, raising kids is an entirely separate expertise than whatever subject you're teaching, right? A, a psychologist who might only be doing their bare minimum would also tell you that um, there are things rooted deeply in a person's core, which we call personality. And of course, I haven't done the studies yet, but I believe that there's going to be some, there is definitely some nature versus nurture debate. And um, I would say that um, a lot of theories would suggest that's, that's just nature, right? And there's very little you can do to really tweak the, the student's personality, right? Um, and even if you could, um, it would require a whole set of training that um, is not done when you are doing your job as a teacher, teaching your physics, right? Um, okay, and then suppose we say that, all right, we're not going to teach you how to teach these values. You're just, you're just going to have to teach by example, which is to say you better be a good wholesome person and um and well we all know how difficult that is and it gives an extra pressure to the teacher but then suppose let's say you happen to be a martyr um at your core by the way i don't really know how to pronounce the word but you know what i'm talking about a martyr and uh, suppose you happen to be one and you embody all of the good traits that you're supposed to instill in a child um and you really could um, teach by example, right? Suppose that happens. Well, 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 what if? What if the student spends any time outside of the classroom and then they see the complete opposite set of traits in their family and they've got three family members that are just going to um, like overwrite whatever you did at school, right? It's just simply very difficult to do this, to teach this um good person value thing to um to a kid right and it's just so easy to see the flaws in people because these are we naturally just not we're just not perfect and you're not supposed to um tell the students that we expect you to be perfect when you are you yourself cannot be perfect and it's just an impossible task and yet and yet and yet what it's a sad thing when everyone knows it deep down but we're still forced to gather in this meeting to talk about how we could do this i don't know if it's just our school but i'm pretty sure that um at least when you're going through the interviews at the school you're supposed to really talk about this and i think part of teachers training and part of education theory has has to do with this part which is character raising or character you know just dealing with personality and um inclusion and all that stuff which i'm going to talk about later as well so that's another problem where there is just an impossible objective to meet uh it's impossible to say that i've made this student a good person because it just doesn't happen right and then and then, um, yeah, so let's talk about the inclusion thing. Beyond this 
personhood expertise, and beyond your subject expertise, there's this additional thing in the teaching that you've su- you're supposed to be accommodating and inclusive, and it's a really big thing. I know it's a big thing in education, not just in Taiwan. I was. Um, I'll talk about this later, but I was going through a bunch of interviews with、uh, British schools, and they all asked me about、um, how are you going to make sure that your lessons are inclusive,、um, and how could you accommodate di- diversity or something.、Uh, all of these positive words just just a big mumble jumble, and in, into the questions, and it's all very it's all very vague. And、um, but basically, you're supposed to say. And when you're doing your own evaluation of your teaching, you're supposed to say that, oh, my way of teaching integrals、uh, is really palatable、um, to every single student, and、uh, you might even propose that you're gonna make a video and edit it so that you're gonna inc- include sound and visual stuff and animation、uh, just for a simple question.、Um, And you might even say, "I'm gonna do an experiment to teach calculus." So it's all very ridiculous. But for the sake of meeting the face values、um, that that every school wants you to do, I don't know if I'm using the word face value correctly. But <laughs> the point is,、uh, you're supposed to meet the, these、um, really superficial、uh, values by proposing things. And God forbid if You know, what if one day the principal or the subject leader really wants you to do it, and you really have to do an experiment with calculus?、Um, not to mention that、uh, sometimes you've got school competitions and tournaments that you might have to participate in. Good,、uh, thank goodness I'm doing math, and there's only a few、um, extracurricular work that students could do with math, and they're mo- often too difficult, and no one wants to participate. But Um, suppose you're a science teacher, then you could just imagine how many things that you gotta prepare on top of your daily teaching, right? So yeah, this inclusion thing and all of the just the words, just word salad mixed in there with inclusion, diversity,、um, I don't know, creativity, whatever T, and <laughs> all this stuff. You're gonna suppose that you're gonna propose, you're gonna say you're gonna do a lesson plan, and you'll have to propose it. Or even share it、um, in teachers' meeting to tell them this is what I'm doing in my class, and and so you're not just being a, a a presenter or a performer in the classroom. You're also doing that in the meeting. So it's just endless vicious cycle of that useless crap, I must say. So a lot of people, and I really don't know how many teachers actually think this.、Um, This is important to do. That we have to go through this. I'm. I mean, to me, a lot of this just comes down to, to common sense, doesn't it? Like, obviously, you're supposed to, just commonsensical ways of dealing with people. Um, you're not supposed to. I don't know. Laugh at someone's disability. You're not supposed to be bad to another person. I. I think it's really commonsensical, but. In a school setting, you're supposed to prove every single thing. You're supposed to lay out the plans over and over again. You have to go through the bureaucracy. You got to、uh, explain yourself over and over again for the commonsensical things that normal people would just do it、um, without even thinking, right? So, in a way, the objectives as a teacher、um, are really. 
idealistic, but also things you could just practice in commonsensical, in a commonsensical way. And so it's really you feel like a lot of the time you spend at school is just wasted. You feel like you're not really doing meeting the progress. You're not making progress because obviously you're not gonna make a kid a better person、um, because all of the bad things in the world are gonna undo that. And yet, this is this is something that is found in many many schools. I I know that、um, as a fact. And、um, and、uh, yeah, so there's very little you can really do, and you gotta you gotta take these values, and you gotta really. Live and breathe these values, and、um, outside of the school setting, these are just、um, mumble jumble world salad. And、um, and yet, the more you do it, the more you're going to be thinking about these. And so, it's really bad that they're leaking into real life. When you're thinking about the term inclusion in real life, I don't know what is wrong with that. All right, and then and then this is the more the philosophy part, and then if you go to the practical part, there is just way too much paperwork, and you know what I'm talking about. Let's say you have a class of twenty, you got to grade every single paper by hand, and it's just not advanced enough to. Even sometimes with multiple choice,、um, some schools may not be advanced enough, and you still have to grade them by hand, and you could just imagine how tedious that is. Not only that, after you grade them by hand, you got to enter them in a computer again, and then you're supposed to write comments about each each school,、uh, each student's、um, progress, and you're not supposed to use uh, fixed uh, templates. You're supposed to write creative, individual comments for the students, and so it's all very, very like a lot of work for for things that. The most frustrating part is that you know that most people are not going to read this thing. Most people are not going to read your lesson plan. No one's going to check on the report cards. The students themselves—they don't even care most of the time.、Um, so that's another big issue. And the paperwork—it really is really bad.、Uh, I'm glad that I was teaching math. If I were doing God forbid English or history. You could just imagine you got to read through all that made-up crap、uh, that are meaningless, and you still have to read them. Whereas in math, you could just—it's easier because you could check the final answer, and if it's right, you can kind of skip over the progress.、Um, sorry, the process that they they wrote.、Um, but in English, I imagine that you cannot really skim. I don't know.、Um, so yeah, the paperwork is just very useless when you know that someday this could be replaced by a machine. Um, and the standardized testing, I think that's a whole other issue that probably someone else has written about it.、Um, I'm not going to go into that. I'm not an expert、uh, on that area. It's just in that area. I just know that grading is a waste of my time, a waste of most people's time, anyway. And then there's another thing, which is another task that teachers have to do, which is why a lot of people think. Teachers are essentially babysitters,、um, which is they think about safeguarding, and this is a thing I discovered when I was doing interviews with some bridges schools. So, I would say it's not just a a local issue, but、um, there is, and of course, this is going to be part of the extra paperwork you're going to do eventually.、Um, they like to ask you.、Uh, How do you understand our school's safeguarding policy?、Uh, how are you going to ensure that students get their support and all of that thing, all of the things related to a person's、uh, a student's personhood issue, which I was、um, talking about. 
And so you can just know that by all the structures of the interview, by the questions they ask, by the paperwork you're doing, um, by what people put on the website, you you get the idea that schools are, after all, just a big, huge zoo. And um, the teacher is actually just working in a cage. And the the main task, at least that's what I got from my experience, the main task, your main job, you're being paid for, um, not for the math, the physics that you might um, happen to know, but um, it's really just for standing there and being present. And you would say, oh, that's an easy job. But no, it's, it's not an easy job because you have to be there and look at the 30 kids in the class for eight hours. But not just that, you got to, produce meaningless documents after documents, paperwork after paperwork to prove that the eight hours were not wasted. And in a sense, I came up with theory that, yes, kids are learning all these subjects mainly to, to, um, to show that there is a little bit of civility in, in, their, in their little persons, right? And that um, that's about it. But really... Most of the people, they don't care. Maybe apart from the top schools, but most most of the students, they themselves don't care that much about their academic performance. I, I really, I, I'm really shocked to see that because I used to be someone who does care. Um, but um, yeah, I think the majority of the kids don't really care, uh, at least before they were say 17 or 18. But before that, most of the kids, they just don't want to do anything. And so the paperwork is really the evidence to maybe give to local authorities or to um, to the parents to show that you're not wasting your money here, um, which when you come to this realiza- realization, it makes your whole work a lot more meaningless because, um, yeah, you're just doing they're not doing nothing and you, you, you then have to prove that you're not doing nothing. So it's very difficult and pointless. And then, um, yeah, so in a way, you really are the caregiver, but you, you, you give your care not through actual babysitting, which might, I don't know, I'm not going to comment on this, but you actually have to know something. You have to be an expert in a tiny area of life like English or history or math so um, it's a really difficult job in that regard because you have to be an expert in psychology in all these uh, subjects you gotta know a little bit about uh, going to school because a kid might ask you you need to be charming um, you need to um know how to perform like a circus performer you gotta have a bag of tools you gotta pretend that you're a good person um you gotta tell the kids that it's important to be a good person and there are benefits of being good uh, a good person and all that and so you're not just a subject teacher you're a moral teacher a philosophy teacher or you're the caregiver and you gotta anyway it's just all very very daunting and especially when it's going nowhere it, that's why um, there's this burnout going on, right? If 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 it's daunting, it's tiresome, but it's actually going somewhere and it means something, then I think I would feel differently. But no, you just know that this is all a facade um, so that schools can prove to the authorities that they are useful um, and that they deserve the money, right? So, so that's... 
that's um that's why I feel like it's really not a very glorious or inspiring as a job. Um, even given that you could complete all of them within working hours, um, and I did most of the time. I never really bothered to do anything outside of my uh, contracted work hours. But I know that um, I had coworkers who would take home their stuff to grade, um, and um, yeah, people talk about the holiday. Uh, I would say that in reality, you're just recovering from all that emotional labor you were doing the entire semester. For me, at least, that's the case. As I said, um, being on the stage every, you know, two or three hours per day, every every day, it's really, really emotionally draining. Um, and because you got to become a role model to 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 the kid, you got to hold back on your emotions. You got to be emotionally sage and you got to um do a lot of emotional labor as well and you got to um witness a bunch of just kids behavior which is very very draining so overall i would just say yeah so these are all the problems i could see with education with teaching as an industry and um and um today it's gonna be a long episode because it's so real it has to do with what I'm struggling with at the moment, but I will go on. Let me take a sip of my wine. <laughs> All right, and I said that today um, it was a special day to me because, um, yes, well, I complain so it, <laughs> well, I complain so much. Uh, I don't know what's wrong with me. I um, after the contract, uh, I I got another job very briefly but then there was something wrong with that company so I left and then since then I've been looking at um teaching jobs again so I was thinking you know I was I was going I was approaching the crossroad I was thinking I might be able to to get a um teacher's training and get licensed and I could do teaching abroad uh internationally but then (laughs) I go back to this article I just wrote and I thought why would I bother? I mean, there are a bunch of perks that come um, that come with teaching, of course. Um, but a lot of these are per- perks only if you you're going for the task of teaching itself to start with. Then you will find these perks as perks. But if not, after all, you're still spending two thirds of your year uh, at school and doing all of these nonsensical tasks. So I was really, really torn because. Um, yeah, there are a lot of things you could gain as a teacher, especially if you are teaching um, internationally. But um, and I researched this career a lot. Um, but then I came to my senses and I decided to discard any offer I had and just just um, go for something else, maybe. Um, and I feel very very relieved because yes, the anxiety associated with being jobless might be maybe four or five months but the unhappiness that comes with going for the wrong career I think it's gonna be forever or at least two or three years right so on balance I chose to not pursue this further and I'm happy that I made this choice and of course um yes I have to deal with anxiety for a while but I don't think it will last too long. I think me being who I am, I will definitely find something pretty soon. Um, but yeah, this is what I have to say about my experience. And that's why I was so unhappy. Um, oh, there was a big thing I did not mention 
uh, in what I said, which was another thing about teaching was that. Um, but I, I guess I can talk about this in another episode when I feel like it because it's a whole other issue. Um, so the point is, I finally, finally, finally um, made the right choice. I hope to not pursue this thing. It's only been two years, and uh, my coworker has been telling me, "Look, um, it's only been two years, so you can still do something else." Whereas I'm stuck here, blah blah blah. So, yeah, you know.、Um, It feels really bad when people tell you this because、um, sometimes you want to tell them, "I think you can still change," but at the same time, you feel like you don't want to become them. So it's a really sad、um, dynamic. Um. So yeah, this is my thing, my thing with teaching, and I am glad I said it. I'm glad that I, that I spoke my mind.、Uh, feels quite a relief, and also I'm glad I finally decided not to do this. I'll talk about what I discovered while I was I was thinking about this, and、um, which is going to go back to normal, as in it's going to be the same style as my previous episodes.、Uh, I'm going to talk about. Um, how acting is an essential part of life. I think, yeah, I'll be t- I'll be doing that pretty soon. But today, for now, that's it. I'm really unhappy with this industry, and this is why I've been pretty unhappy for the past two years.、Um, but I'm glad I let it out, and I hope I hope it's not too depressing. So have a good、uh, week. Thank you. Bye bye.